1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children as well. This is how we know that we love the children. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this love for God to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is that? It is that overcomes the world. Only the world only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Thank you, Brandon and Ricky John, and I'd just like to take this time to thank each of you for uh, all your support in prayer so, and in lodging and in food preparation and cleanup and organization. Everybody uh, has worked together in a beautiful way, which is how God is pleased and glorified. So thank you so much for being here and for supporting in prayer. And those of you that are here for the first time, I'd just like to, on behalf of the, the Bethel Mennonite Church, welcome you. We're, we're glad God brought you here, and God has a blessing for you, and you're welcome to come back anytime. Uh, normally, we have a Sunday school with different classes for all ages from uh, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and then from 11 to 12, there's a sermon, and... Um, 
once a year there's a youth rally. So this, this is the day for the youth rally. And we also have some other special meetings now and then. Well, let's go to the, the Word. First John 5 is the last uh, chapter in our study. This is really a wonderful book. I've been encouraged as I've studied. There's many different themes that are in the book. Uh, being born of God is one of them. So if you look at verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The new birth experience is such a privilege that we can have, that we can be changed from sinners into saints due to the blood of Jesus. This born of God is mentioned different times in the book. Uh, those who are born of God work righteousness. Those who are born of God keep His commandments which we discussed, the, the two main commandments discussed here in First uh, John are believing on the Lord Jesus and loving others. He that is born of God loves the Father and loves his child as well. So not only as a, a born-again believer do we love God, but we love other people. In fact, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for others. And that's such a challenge for us to be loving toward others. And we can't do it in our own strength. It's through the Holy Spirit helping us. And so the Holy Spirit, as we were discussing, does everything for us. The Spirit of God. And one of the things He does is He helps us have confidence that we belong to God. That we really are born again. We really are God's son, God's daughter. We're really part of the royal family. The text verse I picked out is verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's a number of times that John says, I write this to you for this purpose. I write to you little children. I write to you young men. I write to you fathers. Here he says, I'm writing this so that you may know. And I looked through this chapter and I found the word know quite a number of times. Verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God. I'm not sure I picked them all out, but verse 13, you may know that you have eternal life. It's our text verse. And then 15, we know that he hears us. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God. Verse 19, we know that we are children of God. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. There was a group of people at that time called the Gnostics, and, uh, which means knowledge or knowing. And so maybe John was choosing to again and again say, we know this is a fact. We know this is true because there were those who were claiming superior knowledge about Jesus, but their knowledge was faulty. They, they claimed that Jesus actually really didn't come in a human body. And, and um, John was saying that those people who believe that uh, are, are lost because we have to believe that Jesus, not only was he God, but he was also fully human. And he was able to die on the cross as a sacrifice and shed human blood, his blood, his life blood for our sins. But these Gnosticists, they, they claimed superior knowledge and they were false. They were control, controlled not by the truth, 
but by falsehood. And so he was writing, even though he doesn't name them um, in a big way, I guess last chapter he did talk a little about them specifically. He's trying, he's focusing more on the truth. In fact, uh, for us, I think there's a lesson here that if we really want to uh, recognize truth, uh, and live for truth, we need to focus on that more than on wrong. There's a lot of sad things out there in the world. Uh, they say in the banks to train people to recognize true money versus counterfeit. They study the true money. Um, that way they can recognize the counterfeit. So there, there certainly is a place to study other religions and other ways of thinking. But I think we need to put most of our study into the truth of God's word so that we can with the Holy Spirit's help be able to discern what is not true. So is it possible to know that we're saved? John wrote this saying that I'm writing this so that you can know it. Is assurance of salvation something that we can experience? If you if you feel yes then on what basis do we have this assurance? And what are some of the results of assurance? Well, the basis of our assurance, John, the, the writer here is very clear. It's based on God changing us through Jesus Christ. What Jesus did, dying on the cross, shedding his blood, rising again, that work of salvation is based on his work on the cross. The finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection is the basis of our assurance. So it's not our word. There's some scripture here in verse 6, 7, and 8 where it talks about testimony. Uh, you know, is it, is it my testimony that I'm saved? That's good. That's not really that strong though, is it? What really is strong is God saying, yes, Wesley, David, Derek, Rollin, these people down there, they're saved, they're mine, they're born again. That's the testimony that really counts. But we can know. In fact, there's a wonderful verse in Romans that we should probably turn to if you'll flip back in your Bibles <clears throat> to uh, Romans Chapter 8, verse 15. Our spirit, this is a wonderful verse that talks about how the Holy Spirit of God and our spirit are agreeing that, yes, that's right. You know, it's really nice when you're in a group and there's agreement. Do you, do you see it this way? Do you understand? Yes, 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 yeah. And we can move forward. Whether it's a, a sports team, who's going to be quarterback? Well, I want to be a quarterback. No, you were last time. You know, the game just doesn't go forward, but when everybody agrees, oh, yeah, you, you be the quarterback, and I'll block. And, or you, you work on this, I'll work on that. Well, it's so blessed in this area of assurance when our spirit and the Holy Spirit are both saying, yes, yes, I belong to God. Romans eight fifteen and 16. For ye have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear, He's talking about being adopted into God's family, being born again. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba or Papa or Daddy, Father. The spirit itself or himself, the spirit himself beareth, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So when our spirit and the Holy Spirit together 
sense and bear witness that we're the children of God. It's a blessed experience. And it's not a fearful experience. We talked about perfect love casting out fear. Uh, naturally, we have a lot of fears. And probably the biggest fear of all is the fear of death and the fear of what happens after death. The Bible says we all have at least three appointments. We have an appointment in life and we have a lot of appointments in life. But we, right now we have a time to live. But we all will also be facing an appointment with death. For it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. And that's the third appointment, the judgment. And the appointment of death and the appointment of judgment are very scary appointments to think about. Unless we've been born again and the Holy Spirit is living within us and giving witness that, yes, that person is mine. I'm a Christian. I think it's a good thing for us to remind ourselves, to talk to ourselves that, yes, I'm a Christian, not because I'm saying so, but because he said so. God said, he who comes to my son Jesus in faith believing, I will not cast out. So at the final judgment, the final appointment we have, we can have confidence as we face the future. So the basis of our assurance is based on Jesus' work. What he has done and is doing for us. Hebrews 9 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, our priest, let us draw nigh to him with a sincere heart and with full assurance, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's some good words, isn't it? We can approach God the Father through Jesus, our high priest, with confidence, full assurance, because our hearts have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And our conscience, it says, has been sprinkled uh, by the blood of Jesus. They've been clean. Our conscience is, is, is the little internal judgment thing. You're wrong. You're right. You're bad. You're good. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't think that. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't go there. This little internal conscience of ours needs to be washed and cleansed and trained by, by the blood of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And when that happens, then we can draw nigh to God without having this voice in the back of our head bothering us because our, our conscience has been educated. It now understands that Jesus is my Savior. My sins have been forgiven. And I'm in right standing with God and I can come to him boldly to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. So our assurance, I repeat, is based on Jesus' work at the cross and at the throne interceding for us. Now assurance is not based on, I, I listed three things. Our assurance of salvation is not based on our feelings. And if you page back in, in 1 John to chapter 3, Yesterday we read this verse. I don't think we took 
any time to talk about it, but 1 John 3, verse 20, talks about how sometimes, even though we're saved, we don't feel that way. And our hearts or our minds may be really condemning us. And there may be these nasty voices inside, and it's hard to sort out. What's, what's my conscience? What's the devil? What's the Holy Spirit? Have you ever been in that situation you're trying to figure out? What? What's going on? I see some people nodding. Maybe I'm not the only one that has experienced that. Well, there's times, I think, in every Christian's life that 1 John 3.20 is true. Our heart is condemning us. But, listen to this. We know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. So God knows that He saved us. He's redeemed us. We're born again. We're on the road to heaven, even if at times we may not feel we're there. But the verse before that is where we want to be, and that's what this session is, and that is our hearts set at rest in His presence. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If or when our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater, and my assurance is not based on my feelings. My assurance is based on God's promise, God's word on the matter. What God says is really what counts. And verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. So our assurance is not based on our feelings. Our assurance is based on the work of Christ on the cross. Our assurance is also not based on our good works. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So even though good works follow and are very important in the life of a Christian, they are not what save us and they are not what we base our assurance on. So if you gave a lot of money in the offering this morning, God bless you. You will not go to heaven for giving that money. If you gave a lot of testimonies this weekend to other young people, what God's doing in your life, praise the Lord. That's good. Keep, keep on with your giving. Keep on with your testifying. But assurance of salvation is not based on giving, on testimonies, on how many hours you've logged working at the church over the youth rally. And some of you have logged a lot of hours. God bless you. But the, your assurance of salvation is not based on that. The assurance of salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, God's grace. That not of yourselves. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And I believe assurance is a gift. It's a wonderful gift to have. And God wants us to have it. And through the Holy Spirit... He can help us grow in assurance, even as we grow in faith. In fact, they grow together. As we grow in faith toward God and toward Jesus, we'll find our assurance growing as well. So our assurance is not based on our feelings. Our insurance, assurance is not based on our good works, as important as good works are. And our assurance is not based on our circumstances. Because our circumstances at times are going to be really bad. We don't like that. I like smooth sailing. 
I get very upset when things aren't going well until I look to the Lord, which unfortunately doesn't happen as quickly as it should many times. But I'm growing in it. And this weekend, looking at God's Word has encouraged me. And I hope it's encouraged you too that look past your circumstances to God above who understands and is using every circumstance for His good. Romans 8, 28. Probably all of you know it by memory. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. So our assurance is not based on circumstances. Jesus knew that would be true in John 16, 33. He said, In the world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So look past your circumstances, Jesus is saying. Look up to me and enjoy my peace. These things have I spoken unto you that in me, Jesus, you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we've looked at what assurance is based on, what it's not based on. Now let's look at some of the results of assurance or the fruits of assurance. Verse 14 and 15, if you still have John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. When we have assurance that we're saved and we're right with God, we can have confidence in our personal prayer life. When we go to God and we say, God, I am really needing your help with what I'm going to face today or tomorrow or next week. Now, sometimes the message from God may be, well, why don't you just live today and I'll give you grace for today rather than next week. I was reading in R.A. Torrey's uh, book on the Holy Spirit this week and he, he he worked at Moody Bible Institute quite a bit. He also worked as an evangelist around the world. And a young man came to him one day and and said, I really need direction. I need direction what I'm supposed to do. Okay, well what tell me more details. Oh you're a student here at Moody, yes, I'm a I'm a sophomore here in my second year and I do not know what I'm gonna do when I graduate. And it's just it's just wearing me down. I just need a word from the Lord. And R.A. Torrey said, well, that's what, two years away? Why don't, why don't you just live now and trust the Lord and keep praying and don't worry about it. In two years, you'll get the direction you need. And I think that was good advice. And it's good advice for us because I think a lot of times, at least for me, I'm thinking about what about next week? What about next month? What about what's going to happen with the place I work? What about five years from now? These kind of worries will wear us down. What we need is confidence in personal prayer. That God hears our prayer. God will give us grace for today. He will give us wisdom for the next step for tomorrow. If, if, he, if he tarries that long and if we're still here then. Let, let, let's read these verses for. 14 and 15. Confidence in personal prayer. Well, we'll read our text verse too. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. Isn't that good news? Wow! We should all be praying more, shouldn't we? Because He's hearing. He's just waiting to answer prayers according to His will. Now, we not only have gets even better we not only have confidence in personal prayer when we're assured but we can have confidence in intercessory prayer most of you know that means praying for others most of my prayers aren't for others and uh, this weekend uh, i've had i think the holy spirit has reminded me of some people that i work with that i haven't really been praying for and some neighbors i haven't been praying for we moved here two years ago some of you that go to church here and were with me in the prayer groups, I would say, well, let's pray for Carl. You know, who's my elderly neighbor. He's a retired engineer. He's not a Christian. His wife is. She's praying for him. We're praying with her for him, for his salvation. Kind of forgot about praying for Carl. Let's pray for Joey. He got out of prison. He's having a hard time getting a job. I don't think he's saved. Let's pray. Kind of forgot about praying for Joey. But this week, the Holy Spirit's reminding me You know what? Those neighbors, they're still there needing to be prayed for and the people I work with. So we can have, if we have assurance that we're saved, the Holy Spirit will bring to our minds, oh, I need to pray for other people. And that's verse 16 and 17. And God, and I can't explain all of 16 and 17. I'm not quite sure of the different sins. It says the sin that leads to death and the sin that doesn't lead. I, I can't explain that all, but I know that as a Christian prays for someone else, God will move in a definite way. And so, verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead unto death, you should pray. And God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. I'm not quite sure. I'd like to ask uh, Apostle John to explain this a little further. But in light of the other scriptures on prayer, what I'm taking away from these two verses is that there is great, great strength from God and great movement of the Holy Spirit and the angels in the lives of, of other people uh, when we pray for them. I know there's been the Holy Spirit working in my life these last few days as I was getting ready for these topics. And, you know, I was thinking we could, we, John could have wrote this a little differently, or we, we could, this is what we often do. I'm looking at uh, verse 16. Did you ever find yourself, or maybe not you, but you've seen someone else do this, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin does not lead to death, you should pick up the telephone and call others about it. Isn't that what we often do when someone is struggling? We say, well, I better let the youth pastor know. Better call their parents. I better go talk to them. And there may be times to do all that, but uh, there's always, it's always the right thing to pray. In fact, uh, picking up the telephone and talking to others may make things worse. So we should pray. 
I would like when you see me struggling that you pray for me instead of talking to everybody at church. Anybody else relate to that feeling? So, when we have assurance of salvation, we can have confidence in intercessory prayer. This making sense? We can pray for one another. And God will move. We can pray for the unbelievers and God will move in their lives. They still have a will. We still have a will. We still have a choice. But the Holy Spirit is able just to really help us and help others. So fruits or results of assurance. Confidence in personal prayer. Confidence in intercessory prayer. Verse 18, I wrote confidence in him who keeps us safe. So as we grow in our faith and grow in our assurance, we'll be able to love God more and trust him more. Verse 18 says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin or continue to live in habitual sin. The one who was born of God and some of the different uh, language here is a little unclear. Is it Jesus? I, I believe it's probably Jesus who was born of God keeps us safe. That would fit with other scriptures where Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, I'm going to keep safe. So we grow in confidence in Jesus who keeps us safe. And then in verse 19, we also experience increased freedom from Satan's control. Verse 19, we know, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But now as a blood-washed saint, I'm no longer part of the world system. I'm part of God's system. And so Satan isn't my master anymore. He's not my controller anymore. The Holy Spirit of God is. And that's wonderful. Because I'm a Christian, I can reflect on this again and again. That the Holy Spirit is the one in, in charge. And he's stronger than Satan. So these sins, these habits, these ways of thinking, talking, living... They can change. They are changing. And they will continue to change. As I listen to the Holy Spirit, I grow in faith in Jesus. And we come to the last verse. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's not miss this final encouragement. I looked at that verse and I was thinking, well, now how does that fit in here? That's, that's the last, the parting words of this book. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why is this here? Well, maybe one reason is to help keep us focused on Jesus. Because idols, I'm going to read from the Amplified. Idols are anything and everything with that, that would occupy the place in your heart due to God. Form any sort of substitute for him that would take the first place in your life. So read, reading this verse in the Amplified, I, I think helped me realize, I believe this is tucked in here at the end. To say, the world, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. Don't love that. Love me, Jesus is saying. God is saying. He's the one who's worthy of our love. 
So in the Amplified Bible, 1 John 5, 21 reads like this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, false gods, from anything and everything that would occupy, occupy the place in your heart due to God, from any sort of substitute for Him that would take first place in your life. Amen. So let it be. God bless you.